The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jer McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JerMcCarthy74. On this week's show, our VIP guests are some of the Cork Camogie senior players who helped the Rebels overcome Dublin in the very early Camogie National League, and manager Matthew Toomey, who spoke to me immediately after Cork's victory. We'll also hear from Cork Camogie minor manager Jerry Wallace, who previews the new 2023 minor championship season. Cork LGFA senior captain and Moorabi stalwart Maura Callan joins the bench to reflect on the Rebels National League campaign and preview Sunday showdown with Donegal. We'll also hear from Cork LGFA minor manager Jamie Cronin. Resident Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me to discuss all the latest F1 off-track headlines. Monster Women's Rugby chairperson Wendy Keenan is back with another action-packed segment. Monster Women's Hockey Piero Graham Catchball is all the latest Monster Women's Hockey news. And as a first appearance of the new year for the Big Red Bench AFLW expert Mike Curran. That's all to come on this week's action-packed Women in Sport podcast. Cork Camogie senior players Cleena Healy, Laura Hayes, Libby Coppinger, Amy Lee, Saoirse McCarthy and manager Matthew Toomey spoke to me and the Big Red Bench following last weekend's very Ireland Camogie National League win over Dublin at MTU. Here are the Cork players and manager following Cork's brilliant win. Cleena uh, Healy, congratulations. Cork off the mark, uh, comprehensive win but I think the start and that first 20 minutes and that effort that you put in to work great, the way you were closing down and picking off the scores that's about, about the best way you can start a, a National League campaign. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first 20 minutes, especially of the first half, um, was very impressive from us. You know, we said coming out that we were going to lay down a marker and that we were just going to work. And I think that that showed in the first um, 20 minutes of the match. Everyone put in a real big effort um, and everyone worked really hard and the scores came off, you know, from all that. It certainly did. The forward line worked really well today, including yourself. You must be delighted with, the, I mean, obviously your first start and just get it under, get, get that first game under the belt, whatever the training sessions, whatever the college games. This is what it's all about at Intercounty. Yeah. You know, it was nice to um, get back into, like, especially after college um, and stuff, and just get back into the National League. And we've our first win under the belt, so we're delighted. Um, a lot of changes on the team today. A lot of newcomers coming off the bench as well. So there's a bit of depth to the panel, which is going to be huge this year for you. So it was good to see that too. Yeah, um, I think that you know, if you want to win anything, you have to have depth to your panel. And you have to have a strong um, panel, both on and off the pitch. And um, you know, it was great to see um, lots of different people putting up their hands and people coming on and making a real impact so that was um, great to see from a whole team point of view and from your own point of view it's not going to be easy to nail down a starting place but you've done about as much as you could possibly do in the first game but competition for places nothing new with the Cork team but important too that you get your foot in the door you put in that performance and you show management what you can do yeah exactly um, do you know there's fierce competition in the team for um, places and do you know that's great as well because it pushes everybody on um, at training um, so hopefully yeah do you know it's just great to have our um, first win under the belt um, finally, just some new new names in the dressing room as well. That has freshened things up a bit, I'd imagine, for the players, especially in the build-up. Um, yeah, you know we have um, a few um, new people coming on to our management um, this year, and they're bringing in some new ideas. Um, so everything's going well, um, and yeah, so we'll continue on now for the rest of the national league. Congratulations, Kena. Well Thanks done. Very much. Thanks. Well, but a really good defensive performance. You must be happy with that with the way you shut down Dublin, especially in that first half. Yeah, definitely. I think like we've been working a lot on our defense 
defensive system and you know I suppose just like blocking off the space and when we do turn over the ball to kind of attack it and turn it into something on the other end as well so I think today like there was massive control in our play when we lost the ball we were able to come out be composed so yeah I think we'd be very happy with that today. A lot of change uh, in this Cork team at the moment a lot of people are injured um, and there's a lot of new players as well came in today and got a start so there's a lot of turnover but you kept pushing forward there seemed to be a huge mode and work rate was the word I used to describe that performance really good work rate yeah like I suppose even just like a special mention to say Kira Sullivan she just found out that she has done her cruciate there last weekend and I suppose one thing that those players are so like good at and we wanted to show that on the field and represent them was work rate so I think today that's what we were saying at half time what we were checking was our work rate it wasn't who scored and who set up the pass it was who turned over the ball who hooked who blocked so I think going forward that's a really good way to like you know judge off performance. Um, first day out, it's never easy. You're going to make mistakes, but you, there was a—I think it was a really solid display, is how I describe it. And it's good to get those points in the work because there's some tough tests ahead. Yeah, exactly. And you know, like I know uh, some of the management are the same. We've new management and we've new girls on the team as well. So it's great just to have a good start. And even do you know there was I think 13 of us playing Ashburn or Purcell last weekend. And mm. do you know for the Ashburn it was a tough loss. So to come out here today, play Dublin and beat them, just do you know it was a good way to turn around spirits. And looking forward to the season ahead. Good to have the first game done. We put a lot more to come. Absolutely, yeah. Jesus, like we won't be winning all Ireland's by that performance at all. But I suppose if we can just keep building on that every day and keep building momentum, and you know we've kind of said that like we need to start beating the big guns early in the year. So I think our big aim for us this year will be to win the league. And just on that, I mean, you're playing in a position that suits you, I think. You like to get forward whenever you get the opportunity. Obviously, you're a defender first. Yeah. But you picked off some nice scores as well today, and that's the kind of thing, adding to your arsenal, that Cork are going to need the defenders, the half-back line especially, coming forward when the opportunity arises. Exactly, yeah. She's, sometimes I'd be killed for going forward, but I suppose <laughs> when you're given good balls and you're given that opportunity and the space is there, like, of course, you want to take your shot. But I just think this whole team the cornerbacks could come up and score as well everyone has great ability it's just that we you know, show it week in week out so that when it comes to the big games we'll be able to perform like that Congratulations we'll talk to you again soon Perfect thanks very much OK Thank comprehensive win for Cork over Dublin today's very early Camogie National League Division 1A opener Amy Lee and Libby Coppinger join me here Amy first of all uh, good start for Cork so the result is all that matters got the win but you must be very very happy with the defence's performance especially today Yeah I think we were very well set up um, something we probably need to work on uh, over the last couple of years is keeping our shape, keeping us set up at all times. Um, we conceded very few scores today, very few f- fouls in a scoring range as well, which was really good. Um, and just look, the sheer number of subs we brought on as well was great to see and great to see that we were able to keep up. Probably not our full full standard, but definitely we were tipping the scale there. So it was, it was great to see. Yeah. Uh, one of your quieter days, but you still had to pull off some important saves. Are they difficult for goalkeepers? You got to keep your concentration. It's very hard, especially at this 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 stage of the this early in the the year. It's, you're just getting back in. Like I would always say, your fitness has a massive impact on your concentration, which I think 100% does. People might disagree with me, um, but the talking now and the backline talking back to me and stuff, very good. Uh, just to keep me tuned in. So it's great to see. Um, and look, the saves are standard when the backs are doing the. Fr- putting all the pressure on I just had to stop it at the end of the day Very modest as always Amy fair play uh, Libby full back today um, a great start for Cork got off to a very good start Amy O'Connor getting 1-1 but you must be very happy with the way the defence played today harried and rushed everything and really shut down Dublin 100% and like I suppose we commented at half time in our own dressing room that it was the forwards that really brought that level of intensity from the start you know I guess it makes it a lot easier for us when the ball coming in is poor so um, it was massive 
work right from our forwards throughout and like Amy said it's great to give everyone or as many as we can a run um, so look we're happy it's it's the start so we're just going to hopefully build from here but um, good first day out Exactly good first day out and that's all it is but considering the number of people that were absent considering the number of people that came <coughs> on it's it's a really good performance and again all that matters is the winning you got that Exactly yeah um, I suppose like as a group we've kind of been together for a while now so it's all about driving on this year and you know there's no one's jersey not up for grabs and there's there's no position um you know guaranteed so look we want that kind of competitive edge in the dressing room and thankfully we have it at the minute so we just need to push it on again for the rest, rest yeah. of the games. and there's also a change of the management team there's some new voices in the dressing room that's going to help things because it freshens things up yeah definitely um i guess they're bringing a different level of standard and they're kind of pushing us to you know, be the best we can be and try new things and, you know, even just different strategies for buckets, different strategies for setup. So um, good to try new things, good to get the rewards of some of them and, yeah, we'll just look to push on again. Excellent. Congratulations. Well done to you both. Okay, Saoirse, first of all, congratulations. Win on the board, first day out, never easy. Um, but the, I think the performance and the win was based on that start that she made. You went straight at them right from the beginning. Yeah, do you know, we just wanted to come down and see where we're at. I, f- I feel like a lot of the girls didn't have a lot of hurling in them since, like, basically the club championship. And we just wanted to go out and see where we're at. And obviously it was a really positive start for the first half. Um, I we, we got girls on the, the board on the pitch as well. Like, do you know, we had two two people making their debut and that's always a great sign as well for the league. And, um, do you know, it makes, it's exciting for the rest of the year. Um, it's already been an exciting year for you. Success with this very college and this very uh, not on this very pitch, but with the college. Congratulations on that. Does that help you coming into it? The fact that you can actually switch off a little bit from intercounty. You're playing with college, and then you can go back to it. Um, yeah, definitely. Do you know, like it's just you just have to shift your focus. Like you know, we were gearing up for the the press weekend for a long time. So I think once that's finished, now you have to park it and and focus on the league. But um, no, it's nice to be playing in MTU now again, and you know, it's kind of like a little reminder. But um, yeah, I suppose it, the legs mightn't forgive you for it, but it's definitely a great confidence boost as well last weekend. You know, was when you're on a high, like it's it's you don't mind coming back half as much. Like I, I credit to the UCC girls turning around after losing another All Ireland point by a point in extra time. Like that's a lot harder to switch to to come in to play Dublin in a league match six days later. So like, just fair play to the UCC girls. They had a lot harder tasks than we did. Um, midfield today and it suits you you like to get around the pitch you like to cover as much ground as you possibly can is it a position long term that you could, you'd like to see yourself slotting into obviously you'll play wherever you're asked to play by Matthew Toomey but it did seem to suit you today and like hooking and blocking certainly your, your work rate you led the, yourself in midfield you led the way in the first half and the second half uh, a position maybe down the line that you'd like to nail down um, yeah definitely you know like underage I would have always been midfield so it's not somewhere that I would be strange to but you know like I'll go wherever I'm put. Like obviously today, it was all about just working hard and trying to get the ball into the girls because they were score shooting lights out inside. So, um, yeah, no positive, positive enough. Like I'd like to do better now the next time, but um, yeah, I like it. <laughs> Fair enough. And look, there's tougher tests ahead. Dublin, a lot of change over. Difficult for them today with so many new players, new management team coming in. But Cork have got to get ruthless. You can only beat what's in front of you. Get the job done. And I assume that's the that's the attitude that will be taken into the remainder of the league games. Yeah, definitely. I think every every week poses a new challenge, and I mean, we're just going to focus on ourselves and not worry about what we're facing. We're going to work on our game and and try and stick to what we're good at. You know, okay. we're learning about ourselves more than we're learning about them.
So that's kind of that. <laughs> it certainly is. Listen, congratulations and best luck for the rest Thanks, of the league. Sir. Thanks. Cheers. Okay, Matthew, tell me, first of all, congratulations. Day one, Division 1A league game. It's all about getting the, the victory on the board, and you did that. Comprehensive win over a much changed Dublin lineup, but it was a much changed Cork lineup too. Yeah, I'm very happy with the results. Um, don't know if I was told that before the game. I, I would have probably slept better last night, but um, no, very happy. And with the way, I, I think you hit the nail ahead with the first half performance. was excellent. You know, a lot of things we were working on, we were talking about. Um, just in defence I thought they were brilliant um, the two goals um, killed the game uh, very happy with it we obviously made seven substitutions so the game was going to kind of dip a bit um, but we got more than what we wanted out of it and also like we, we, you know, we have still something to carry home back into training the next Tuesday night and that's exactly it. Momentum built. Move on to the next challenge now. Um, you did mention the fact that there was a lot of players already missing from today yeah. in terms of injury and for absentees, whatever. But the fact that you brought on so many subs and you know you just kept kept doing the same kind of things that you're trying to do, yeah. and that's the key thing from your, your point. hundred percent. Like, uh, like, look. I suppose to start of this year, after losing the All Ireland, I suppose we had to look and see. Like, I suppose you wrote this during the week where we were going wrong and and you know where we can improve and we're, we're trying this. You know, like, I, I don't know what kind of the. the Condition Dublin we're in, I, I can't comment on them, but like it looked easy today. But it, like we we do know that you know when the opposition is better or better equipped, where as the year goes on, um, that might be as easy. So like it's, it's, it is a case that we need everyone on the same hymn sheet because look, it's not a fifteen-person game. Look, we've another injury today. We've we've four over the, more than likely over the year at this stage. I'd say, but from the sounds of it, so like we need everyone knowing like if they have to come on anywhere in the field, they know what they're, they're meant to be doing. Any update on Katrina Mackey? Because she went off with a pretty nasty-looking injury. Yeah, she's gone up for next week now. Um, so, so we will we, we'll know more hopefully by the end of the day. Okay. Now you've mentioned squad, you've mentioned depth, and that's what the league is all about. It's an opportunity for young players to come on. Really impressed with some of the people that made an appearance today because you know there's an opportunity for them there this year. They might not have been there for other years when so many people out, and that's a good thing to see that hunger as well and that desire. It must be a really refreshing view in the management team. It's massive because, like I suppose, look all the work that the Cork minor 16s and all that. They, like that's coming to fruition there. Like we we two players out there. Started that were minor last year. If if Healy and Orla Cannon, I thought Orla was superb in the first half. If if like is she like she's nearly out every night and playing matches. She's brilliant. Um, and then Claude Finn and Ali Smith, they, they do not like the two of them are kind of fresh onto it as well. You know Ali was there last year, but she was injured a lot of the year. But she did well. And Claude Finn, do not so happy about everything like that. Like yeah, and and oh, we're still on the lookout. We're trying to get more into it as well. But but like we're getting tight numbers now when we've. After Kira Sullivan, unfortunately, you know that's after being confirmed. Just it's a cruciate as well. Um, you know, it's just four cruciates, and they weren't even with us for any of them. You know, they were them with the club and one with UCC, and it's it's just very, very disappointing to lose players like that, and it's very disappointing for them because they're just all the training we're after putting in for the last while, and it's just very disappointing. Man. Before we finish on a positive note, the news, unfortunately, that this year's Camogie All-Star Tour is coming at a really difficult time for players and managers. Now, players obviously want to go and they're entitled to go, and I know you know that, but the timing of it, I mean, that's not something that's going to please you or any inter-county manager. No, no, absolutely. It's just, it's, it's farcical. Like, you know, it wouldn't happen in the men's game. Um, I, I, just, I, just, I was talking to someone else about it there a while ago. Like, if it happened in the club team, you drop them. To know if they were going to win holidays a week before championship, you, they wouldn't be considered. Like so, we our own association putting this on us. Like, and like by potential, we have ten players going on that all star trip because it's twenty one and twenty two. Uh, it's just look. Uh, there has to be some serious talk. Like you know, there, there has to be serious reconsidering it because we wouldn't be happy with it at all. Like you know, because you're you're taking a week over, and when they come back, then you know after getting jet lag and whatever they're, they're up to over there, it's just. It's embarrassing again. 
finally, on a positive note, victory. He would have taken it first day out, albeit against a Dublin team that's experimenting with new management team. But the positives, the biggest positives you take out of it, the defence was really good today, really closed down, harried, yeah. and your midfield worked extremely hard and your forwards picked off the scores. I assume that's more the same from here on in for the league, where you can. 100%. Like, I think where, where we were kind of engaging them today was turnovers. Turnovers with the back line, but also the turnover of the forward line, as we got a few scores off turnovers there in the first half, which was very, very pleasing. Um, but yeah, our defence I thought was superb. There was great communication with them. There was great movement, and what I liked about it is when one player was in trouble, there was another player to give an option, which is huge, and it's what we're trying to pursue on. You know, and we're hoping to work on that. Like, the, as I say, very positive, happy with us. Lots to do. All the best for the rest of the league. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork Camogie Minor Manager Jerry Wallace joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to preview the 2023 All-Ireland Camogie Minor Championship. Jerry updates us on his new Cork Minor panel's preparations and what's in store as Cork look to defend their All-Ireland Minor title. Delighted to be joined now here on the Big Red Bench by the Cork Minor Camogie Manager for 2023. It's Jerry Wallace who's back with us to look ahead to what's going to be hopefully another productive season for the Rebels. Jerry, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are things? Very good, Jer. We're after having a good winter and we're recuperated and ready to go again now shortly with the Cork Minor Camogie squad for 2023. Um, we've been working away very quietly there in Camney for the last couple of months, trialling with a lot of players. And uh, I was very fortunate last weekend along with my management team to be able to announce the team for the panel for 2023. So after a process of maybe two months, where we brought players in in groups uh, to train and trial. And then we had under-17s from last year uh, come in for a game against MTU and then for two games last weekend. And we had girls then that have come up from the Cork under-16 successful team of 2022. So we've we've had a great uh, say, couple of months of work working away quietly. We've played a couple of games against a few of the counties that we've been involved against in challenge games. We've played MTU a few times. And uh, it's been very, very progressive so far. Very, very proactive and very positive. Yeah, this is your sixth year, Jerry. Uh, so you obviously like what you do and you'd want to like what you do because it's hugely time-consuming. I know it is. You've got Mike Boland with you and you've also got a good management team around you. Um how difficult compared to the other years was it to get to the final 30 here? Because the names that have been announced, I know quite a lot of them myself, and I know a lot of people in the Camogie circle in Cork would know a lot of the names. It does look like a very, very strong panel. But how difficult was this compared to other years to get to that panel and that final panel of 30? I, I, I think, that, um, I think Ger, that it's getting uh, more and more competitive every year is what I've noticed Um I've, I there's a huge, massive love for Camogie in Cork, and there seems to be a massive interest in girls coming from the age of 15 into the 16 panels, and then when they are coming for the under 17, and their goal is to try and make the Cork minor Camogie panel. And what I've noticed since I've been involved in 218 is that every year now we're getting more and more girls that want to play for Cork, that want to be part of this minor program and that certainly is making it very competitive for myself and the selectors that are involved with me and the group of people that are coaching and this year we had two groups working as I said we had a Cork red team and a Cork white team 
We had 25 players in both groups. We then had another group working outside of that again. And we were casting an eye on all of the other individuals that we might have heard of throughout the county, maybe bringing them in for a game or two. And yes, it is time consuming, but I suppose we have a great love for it and we have a great interest in it. And I think that has been reflective in the positiveness that's that's been generated around the county towards this group. Um, great people involved with me this year. Michael Boland is back as well, like myself, for the sixth year. Orla Hallahan returns this year as our liaison officer, along with Rihanna Power and Lucy Wallace, my own daughter, and the three of them have a great little network working. They're not always at all training sessions, but one of them is there to cover one night and another gets the rest along with myself, then, and Mike Boland, Matthew O'Sullivan, who was a winning coach with the Cork under-16s, has stepped up this year to join the minor management, and he's a great addition to the group. Matthew's very proactive, very modern coach. He's from the Ballancolly Club, and we're delighted to have him on board. And we've also brought in a school teacher this year from uh, Middleton. He's a Kerryman. He's got a football background, Christopher Casey. He's a teacher here in the Welsh College Middleton. And Chris is, is is going to work in the coaching area, and also he's a good a mentor to have around the young young women as well. Um, Ali Hallahan returns from um, this year as well to join us, and Ali brings a lot of experience. He's from Ballygarvan. He's around the Camogie and Cork a hell of a long time now, and then we're ably assisted with the county board and other areas of preparation. This year we outsourced a small bit as well. Jar, we did a bit of work with. Um, a group in Middleton, Middleton Fitness, and it just gave a change of emphasis to the girls. And I think we're quite happy with what we've done there. And it was gym work, and it was age-specific gym work for the ladies. So we're very happy with, with, with where we are at this moment in time. And certainly, when we sat down last uh, Sunday morning after the final trial match from a process that started back in November, I suppose other coaches, they, they, when they, they're formulating a panel, they maybe have a trial match and then they might have a second trial match and then a player turns up and gets an opportunity to play and if they're not, if they're good enough, they'll probably come forward and if they're not, they don't get a chance. Our system since 2018 has been to try and bring as many young players along as we possibly can until there's a point. And with the All-Ireland Championship being put back a month, a month this year, like this time last year, we had already played Galway in Galway. And this year, the Camogie Association pushed the championship back to the start of March. So they've pushed it back to the 12th of March. That gave us more time to keep more people around the program and to see how people would be over the duration of time rather than over just one game. So you're getting to know the individual. And yes, it is very hard then when you're letting someone go so like when we had to make the thirty players last um, Sunday, I had to I had the unfortunate business of having to contact fifteen that had been that had come down to the last run of it. And uh, yeah, you have to be very um, kind-hearted and you have to be generous and you know, but you also have to be firm in your sense that look, we decided to go with these thirty and and that's 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 it. Like you know, but there's a great kudos to the clubs, the car. There's a great kudos to the to the. The, the board officers that arrange the minor fixtures and the under-16 fixtures, they must be very competitive in all their grades, all the clubs, because 
players that are coming in front of us are, are making it more and more difficult every year, which is a great thing for Cork. Yeah, and like uh, th- that's a kind of consistent message with under sixteen as well over the last couple of years, which shows just how difficult it is to make a panel, let alone be you know and, and be successful once you get there. But the difference this year, Jerry, is that you know now you've got dates for all your games. So basically, it's Cork, Kilkenny, Dublin, Galway, Tipperary, and Waterford are in the minor A grade for twenty twenty three. You start away to Dublin on the twelfth of March, and you follow that up away to Waterford in Waterford a week later, and then you've got Tip at home uh, in late March away to Kilkenny on April the 2nd and you finish your group at home to Galway uh, either the 15th or the 16th of April and following that then you've already got dates for potential semi-finals and finals and replays that alone that list of of, of counties there over the last couple of years since I've been covering you the cliche cliche alert here but there's just no easy game here at minor A it is immensely competitive and each one of those games uh, starting with Dublin and finishing with Galway there's no there's just no there's no gimme in any of this so your team and your panel will have to hit the ground running against Dublin and is it consistency then is key through those group games more than anything well you look at a general Wexford Limerick Clare and Antrim we drew this year so since I've been involved in 18 they were always involved in tier 1 but they've gone back and entered into tier 2 of the Camogie Championship this year which left the Camogie Association with the teams that you've mentioned they are Dublin uh, Waterford Cork Galway um, Kilkenny so those and Tipperary so like we have those teams so like they just put us all into one group this year and each of us get to play each other and it's fabulous to have that to, to think that if you're going to play minor Camogie this year that if you're good enough, you'll get to play five games first, and then if you're good enough, you'll get to an All Ireland semi final. You can't look beyond any of the league games. We can't look beyond the Dublin game on the 12th of March at this stage because you've got to go to Dublin. There's a lot of variables when you're traveling away with young people, they, how they react to the travel up, then what you meet above there, and all the different aspects of the day. So, like, if we get something out of Dublin, at least we ha- when we're traveling away to Waterford the following week. We, we we know that we have something to look forward to then again, but also you must remember there there's only a week in between mm. the the twelfth and the nineteenth and the twenty sixth, so that will only mean that we'll be able to get together in between once during the week. We've also got a crossover of eight players who are dual players, so there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of managing in this this year in comparison to the other years. But look, we have a very healthy panel at the moment. 14 players from the Cork under-16 team that won the All-Ireland last year and Munster Championship have, are now on the panel. 10 players from last year's successful minor All-Ireland winning team and Munster Championship winning team are in the panel. And we've found six players that were under-17 that didn't make last year's minor panel. So there's six more players there. So like that, that's a good, strong a group of young players to represent Cork at the minor Camogie this year. I'm very happy with where we are at the moment and all our focus here at the moment is on that Dublin game on the 12th. Um, we'll have our reconnaissance work done on them. We know they're playing this weekend against Wexford in the Leinster Championship. The Leinster Championship is on before the All-Ireland in Leinster this year in the Camogie. So I have a, a friend of mine travelling to see that game on uh, Sunday. So we'll get word back as to how Dublin look there when they play Wexford on Sunday, and we'll plan and, and arrange, you know, for this game on our own in our own terms, like you know. Mm. 
Yep. I mean, what more can you do? I mean, uh, a huge amount of work clearly has already gone into getting to the final panel. You now have your set of games. You're now, getting, you're now about to reach the business end or the beginning of the business end of the championship, Jerry. Yeah. And look, everybody here in the big red bench as ever wishes you and your management team and certainly all your players all the luck um, and success that's going to come in 2023. We'll hopefully be there as often as we possibly can to bring people word of how well you're doing. Um, but we do wish you all the best. Uh, t- thanks very much, Darren. We, we very much appreciate the support and I do know that the Camogie Association and Cork and the board and Cork and those that are supporting Cork Camogie do appreciate the support that we get from the big red bench and from the media partners throughout Cork. It's very, very important, Joe, for the young people that they get promoted because there are lots of other sideshows going on in life these days. But I think sport is a great, um, um, a great, um, it creates great talking points amongst young people. It gives them their own um, iconic figures to follow too, you know. And I think uh, all the work that's going on is great. And we very much appreciate any bit of support that we can get. Thank you, Joe. Kirk Minor, Camogie Manager for 2023, Jerry Wallace. Thanks for taking the time as ever to talk to us here on the Big Red Bench. And we will talk soon. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Bye-bye. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Resident Red FM Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me on the Big Red Bench to discuss all the latest on and off-track Formula One headlines around the 2023 season. You can find more of Sarah McKenzie Foley's expert Formula One analysis on her active social media accounts on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie F1, Instagram, MacGram underscore, and on Twitter, MacTweets. Underscore. Now, it's that time of the week again when we come to the Formula One segment of uh, the uh, Big Red Bench. We're delighted to have a resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, joining us. How are you, Sarah? Yeah, I'm good. I'm buzzing. We're just one week out now from actual on-track action. So the the anticipation is building, which is great. It is, and I cannot wait. But as usual, there is so much to talk about um, and a lot happening on the build-up to this championship, more so than other years, I believe. But anyway, let's get stuck in because drivers are determined to speak their minds despite further clarification on a new FIA rule regarding approved statements. What is this about, Sarah? Yeah, so we chatted a few weeks ago about this new rule that the FIA had announced where drivers would have to have permission, essentially, from the FIA to make any political or personal or religious statements and both Lewis Hamilton and Lando Norris have advocated for kind of retaining free speech during their respective team launch events recently and the FIA actually sent out a three-page document to all the teams a couple of days ago aiming basically to provide further details on what to expect from this rule and their clarification was, you know, drivers will still be able to express their views in what they're calling their own space outside of a race. So, for example, on social media or during an interview, but they will face sanctions if they oppose this rule in on-track circumstances. So that could be anything from during the national anthem before a race or on the podium, for example, where we have seen drivers kind of, you know, make gestures and statements before. And like these are, you know, the sanctions include everything from a basic warning. They go all the way up to community service, a drop in grid positions. And to date, that's mostly been reserved for things like using more than the allotted number of power units per season. So I understand that the FIA was sort of hoping to clarify this. But if anything, this kind of arm's length list of penalties almost makes things seem even more ridiculous than they did before. And... I just think 
if the rule remains in place and the drivers do start to be penalized for making personal statements, what happens in a scenario where that starts to risk their team standing in a championship battle, for example? You know, it really, it harks back far too closely to me to the World Cup in Qatar just a couple of months back where players were ultimately forced to decide between their moral priorities and their country's sporting achievements. Like this is, you know, I think we're we're definitely far from the end of this um, because at the same time as you have this document coming out from the FIA, you've also got Stefano Domenicali saying, you know, we'll never put a gag order on anyone. So which of which of is which of those is it? You know, what what is it going to be in reality? And I kind of I worry that somebody will end up being the scapegoat or sort of, you know, they'll make an example of somebody um, kind of early on to set a precedent. And I think the whole thing just is just very uncomfortable, really. Where is it coming from, Sarah? Is it because there is more and more influence from the Middle East, from that part of the world? Or am I being too generalistic? Or is it coming from the States where more and more money seems to be flooding into Formula Mm. One? And is this the FIA trying to be politically correct to the point where they're backing themselves into a corner? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it makes the powers that be in the sport uncomfortable that drivers might make any portion of their viewership feel like they they're not they can't relate to them or they don't have the same views as them. But I just think that's that's ridiculous. You know, humans are humans. It's you know, it doesn't matter if you have one driver or 20 drivers people are going to have opinions they're going to have feelings about things and I just don't think it makes any sense to try and censor that and I think this is really a step in the wrong direction I I sort of understand the reasoning behind it but I just think it's absolutely the wrong move I agree with you and you've been consistent on this all the way through the summer and up to the start of the season it looks like all right that the FAA is going down the FIFA rule um, where outside influences and where the money is coming from is starting to take precedence over what's actually right and wrong and what individuals and human beings have the right to say and not say whether they're a Formula One driver or a pit crew member or whatever. Um, and uh, you're right. I think this is going to run and run. And uh, considering the amount of time and effort that they're putting into the Netflix and series mm. to survive and everything, it's it's such bad timing. It's such a bad look uh, for for Formula One. But it's their own making. And I I think I I think I know what you're saying between the lines. I don't see Lewis Hamilton staying quiet on an issue that no. he's passionate about as one example. And nor should he. Um, but yeah, it'll be very, very interesting to see where they go with that. Uh, and we'll keep an eye on that as the season progresses. Testing is the big thing this week. Uh, Sarah McKenzie Bowley here on the Big Red Bench, our Formula One expert, talking about the new upcoming Formula One season because testing at this moment, drivers are trying to convert all that sim work into on-track practice and it's getting very, very close to the first Grand Prix. Yes, absolutely. So there are three day de- days of testing between the 23rd and the 25th of February. So this will be our first time seeing what I like to call V2 of the 2023 season cars because V1 is sort of what we see at the official launch events that have been happening over the last couple of weeks. And then V2 is what you see in pre-testing. And then V3 is the actual car that appears at the first race, which may look very different um, between the stages. And as was the case last year, the teams have been limited to three days of pre-season testing and it's it's worth noting that because as recently as 2010, the teams had 12 days of testing. So it has definitely whittled down significantly over the years. Part of the reason being all of the new regulations that launched last year were supposed to 
stay the same for 2023, which in theory would mean the teams didn't need as much on-track time. And then secondly, obviously, the sport is trying to reduce cost as well. But I think given the gaps that were there in between the teams, they would definitely like a lot more than three days. Mm. I think ultimately what they can, the only thing they can really expect or hope for is some amount of reliability and some amount of long run data, because you have to recognize that they can only take very early stage indicators from this limited amount of running. And also during preseason testing, not everybody actually reveals the true performance level of their car. We have things like sandbagging that that happens. So no. I think it's um, <laughs> never. Uh, I think it's uh, it's it's great to get the season underway, but definitely kind of taking everything with, with a, a pinch of salt. Yeah, and I think you're spot on there. You have to this time of the season, but I love this time of the season when the conspiracy theorists are at their absolute <laughs> maximum. Oh, Mercedes have a new wing. Did everybody see it? And there's photos going all over Twitter, and then you realize that the photos from ten years ago. And you know, you're right, and it leads nicely into our final segment here because teams are keeping what they have very, very close to their chest coming in to Bahrain because you know you don't want to give anything away. Every single possible you know minute uh detail that might give you the slightest edge you take especially at this time of year but what i love most there is the unknown somebody mm. somewhere has done something un out of the blue and people might see it when the cars get there and they're you know they're unpacked and all that but somebody might just get an edge and before the likes of mercedes before the likes of ferrari and before the likes of red bull get really into their rhythm and their momentum when it's very hard to stop them this is the time of year for the outsiders if you want to put it that way to you know to make a claim or to make make an impact in that first grand prix and i just love it because it is as you said with so lim- with limited testing and with so little news out there at the moment it's, it's it's really intriguing to see how this one goes down absolutely yeah i totally agree and and we're seeing a pretty big range of sort of expectation setting between the teams and mercedes have flat out said they're not expecting immediate results but they're expecting development to sort of bed in over time and they are still expecting to fight for wins this year whereas Ferrari have been very explicit about their title hopes for 2023 and they're calling their car a total redesign which is interesting because they had they were very strong in performance but low on reliability last year so it'll be interesting to see where they've done that redesign to try and strike that that balance and then you have teams like McLaren and Alpine that are saying hey look we're targeting wins and peak performance in 2025 for example with Alpine so as you say total unknown and uh, the anticipation is definitely I think I agree at the highest at this point of the year because we really just don't know what's going to show up and I think that's really exciting. Yes exactly we've very little data to go on we've very in order race of the season yet so far to, to judge telemetry to judge lap times it's all uh, everybody on that grade the first day it's like the first day of any football or sporting season everybody mm. has the same dreams and hopes and who knows what's going to happen I cannot wait to see these uh, magnificent Ferrari changes I, I'm very intrigued as a Ferrari fan I don't believe any of it but I certainly <laughs> intrigued to see it um, as ever uh, as our Formula One expert here on Corks Red FM Sarah McKenzie Foley thank you for your time and where can people find more of your content online yeah so if you search Sarah McKenzie F1 on YouTube you'll find all my videos there including the last couple of weeks I've been posting regularly so again if you search Sarah McKenzie F1 on YouTube that's where you'll find me the Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork LGFA senior captain and Mornabi's Maura O'Callaghan spoke to me for this week's Big Red Bench to review the Rebels National League campaign to date and look ahead to Sunday's league showdown with Donegal in Mallow. 
We'll also hear from new Cork LGFA minor manager Jamie Cronin ahead of Cork's minor championship clash with Limerick and news of their fantastic victory over Tipperary. Now we are delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by the Cork LGFA senior captain and Mornabi stalworth Maura O'Callaghan. Maura, you're very welcome to the show. How are you? Very good, Jer. How are you? I'm really good. Um, you made your return. Uh, it's active uh, competitive duty at the weekend. Uh, yourself and Kiro Sullivan, your club mate, were involved uh, in Cork's National League defeat, unfortunate defeat, up in Galway. Very exciting game, lots of scores, just missed out in the end. But before we talk about that, how happy are you to be back? Um, I know you've been dealing with a, a few injuries and it's been a kind of a stop-start season for you, but you're back on the pitch now and playing a captain's role. You must be delighted with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it can be frustrating dealing with injuries and unfortunately we have a few girls, you know, who have had a couple of injuries. So it's always a big relief to get back on the pitch and, you know, remember what you're training for and, you know, doing rehab for and all that. So I was delighted, yeah, and I'm sure Kira was as well to um, get a run at the weekend against Galway. Um, it's a very different team than you Cork team that you would have been used to in recent years and that there's been a lot of transition obviously some players have retired some players aren't involved this year and you've got the likes of Orla Cahalan Abby O'Mahony a lot of young players uh, coming through not suggesting you're not young yourself but younger <laughs> players uh, coming into the panel from the minor setup from previous years um, you know that takes time for things to bed in you know better than most so from Cork's point of view is it is it more like consistency of performance now between here and the end of the league that everyone's looking for? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like we're, you know, trying to build after every game and, you know, taking whatever learnings we can take from each game and just trying to improve our performance bit by bit. Um, Look, as you said, there's a lot of um, younger players after joining the panel and they've been a huge addition. Like the work that's going on underage is really, really clear to see how they have started right into training and they're getting like such valuable minutes at senior football as well. So it's absolutely fantastic to see the likes of those girls that you mentioned, Orla, Abigail, you know, there's a lot of young girls Simon Goldrick from um, underage, you know, who are getting really, really good time at senior level and really competitive games, which is, we really benefit them towards the end of the year as well. Yeah, and th- this is the thing. It takes time for young players, no matter how good they are at minor level. It takes a while, as you well know. It might take even a year before you figure out what it's all actually about at senior level. The intensity of training is ratcheted up. Your strength and conditioning is ratcheted up before you ever kick a ball. There's a lot to take in. How important is it then to have somebody like Shane Ronan in charge of all of this who's been there and done that and seen that and he and his management team are overseeing what is a transitional National League campaign? Yeah, it's hugely important. And I think, um, especially for Shane, I suppose he's been involved, you know, with the Cork under 16s a couple of years ago and with, you know, college level as well. So I think he's very familiar with, you know, the different levels of development for um, players coming along and making their way up to inter-county senior level. So I think that coupled with, you know, the rest of the management team and Paul in as our SMC, you know, it has been, you know, he's there for support at all times and, you know, bridging that gap between, you know, the gym programs they have and, you know, gradually building it, building it up and ramping it up so that it's not like a complete shock to the system for them as well. Because, you know, there are a lot of girls there that like haven't done a gym session before. And like, that's totally normal, I suppose, to not be doing it underage, but, you know, gradually building that into their repertoire as well so that they're, you know, physically, I suppose, getting up to the level of the, of the intensity that it is and, you know, the aggression, I suppose, and the strength and conditioning that is required for senior level. And this is the thing, you, you can see the benefits of it already because you see Orla Callan weighing in with a couple of goals now the last day uh, against Galway. You were fantastic result up in Mayo to kick off the National League season. Very unlucky uh, in the game with Dublin at Parky Ring. 
got the draw against Waterford on a very difficult day and a horrible pitch in Kilkenny and then into the last couple of minutes against Galway we're still in the mix so it, like it is positive signs we're not just saying it for, for, the, for the sake of it Maura you know better than anyone like you, you're a winner you want Cork to win games and when you're not winning it's a disappointment but the fact that there seems to be Cork you know there's, there's errors occurring there's things that need to be ironed out but the National League is the time to do all of that yeah, totally. Like, I mean, I know, I suppose we're kind of getting into a state where we might be possibly in relegation trouble, but at the same time, I think we're all largely, you know, happy with how the league campaign has gone, which sounds very contradictory that, you know, we're quite low on the table, but like where there has been very little in it, as you said, between us and our opposition in most of the games. Um, so there is a lot of positives to take from it. Now, look, we're not we're not looking just to get a moral victory out of the year, but look, it is extremely positive, and you know it has been tit for tat, and we've gone toe to toe with, I suppose, nearly with all, all the teams we've played against, um, and it's just getting that, I suppose, the game over the line and the game management really into us as well will be something we'll be working on, I suppose, coming out of the league and going forward into championship. Exactly, and that continues at the weekend on Sunday in Mallow when you take on a Donegal team who are struggling a lot worse at the moment. They've yet to pick up a win in four outings. Now, you know better as well as I do, and better than I do, uh, from playing Donegal in last year's championship, just how good a team they are. They're clearly like some Mayo and a few other teams transitioning a lot of young players in during the league at the moment. But when you've not won a game and you want to make a mark, no better team than Cork to do it against. So, I mean, this is a very, very important game for a lot of different reasons, but you've got to just go and, and you know, put in that performance and get another uh, points on the board. Donegal are a very dangerous team. You know, they're scrambling for a week. I, they're part of the weekend. and They'll come out with a lot of fight because it's so much, I suppose, with their league. But, you know, I like that. The results might might not flash them. Very unlucky in the games, you know. I haven't, I actually haven't seen a huge battle. Um, they're a very strong physical team, and I've no doubt that the girls that they're betting in as well will be well able for that. And they're like ourselves, so we'll definitely be um have to be at our best, I suppose, to put up a good um, performance against them at the weekend. Indeed, you will. Uh, looking forward to it, no doubt, Maura, and also looking forward to the remainder of the campaign. What's the best thing about this time of the year? I suppose is just is it getting match fitness and getting all the fitness that you'll need come championship time, but also doing as best as you possibly can and trying to nail down a place. There's some people looking for your place on that team now. I know you're captain, but you know as well as I do that you've got to be performing if you're going to hold on to that jersey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is great. It's so good to get the games and see where you are uh, matching up against. You know good competition around the country and then also as you said to nail down a place and try and put your stamp on the team and you know hopefully secure that jersey for the next day um so that's always the aim I mean there's girls champing at the bit always to get on and even more so with the freshness and the younger players this year who've no fear and they've not no reason to fear anything they're just trying to get on the pitch and that makes training really really good and long may it continue the competitiveness between the panel and how good is it to have the O'Sullivans and uh, the Mornabi contingent coming back in and out of the team now? Uh, look, starting to look like the old Cork team again. Um, it's great, yeah. Like we've had the girls coming back from injuries. You know, Laura Fitz is making her way back now as well. She had um, a serious surgery before um, Christmas on her knee, and Darren is the same, making her way back too. So it's it's great to see the girls out on the pitch getting a bit of running done, and you know. Um, it's tough for them having to put in the long yards with the rehab that, you know, people don't really see at this time of the year. But it's great to see them making the progress as well and getting them back out in the pitch is the main aim. And even having Kira out then at the weekend as well was fantastic. Indeed it was. It's great to see her back and it's great to see you back as well as the Cork Senior LGFA captain ahead of this weekend's uh, Lidl National League clash with Donegal in Mallow. Maura Callan, thanks for joining us here on the Big Red Bench and we wish you all the luck at the weekend. Thank you.
Jamie Cronin, Cork LGFA minor manager, congratulations on your side's 4-8-1-4 victory over Tipperary in the All-Ireland Ladies Football Minor Championship opener in Mallow uh, last weekend. You must be delighted, obviously your first game as coach, to get the win, but the manner of the win as well, uh, I would imagine you're very pleased. Yeah, Gerald, it was, look, I mean, it was great, good good first out for us. Um, really impressive first half, I suppose we, we, I suppose we got a run on them, got a momentum early against Tip. Um, we, I suppose we put the scores on the board when it mattered. Um, and, and look, one of the things I was delighted with today was look, just the attitude from the overall group and the fact that, look, every single girl that's held out today got on the pitch at some stage and contribu- contributed to it too, you know. And, and look, that's, look yeah, it, 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 it's a relief to start off that way. The girls are buzzing for the game beforehand. It gets us up and running really well now. And, you know, it, it puts us on, on, on the front foot going forward, you know. Exactly, and on the opening day, that's all you can ask for. But your half-time lead, four six to three points. I mean, a stunning first half display. Deirdre Cronin shining um, as well uh, as a couple of goals from Neva Sullivan from Castlehaven. But I mean, as you said, a full team effort. But that first half performance must have impressed you greatly. But a bit of work to do following the second half performance. Yeah, I mean, look again on the first half. Since something I've always asked for is, is that work rate and attitude. It was there. It was clear. I mean, like both. Granted, the girls up front finished finished off the moves, but you know all that started from turnovers, started from like and, and look the hunger, the hunger from the group as well, and you know they, they wanted to I suppose put their stamp on it. Those starting fifteen wanted to put the stamp there for their position, um, and and like yeah, look second half, look you know yeah fine we didn't score, we didn't score a whole pile, and I know they've got a few scores back against us, but look so be it. Um, it it it, thing goes, it gives us something to work on the next time. Um, they were swarming around us there in the second half. That that you know, and I, I the biggest thing I you know I got from that was the fact that walk literally minute moments after the final whistle, I was talking with a few players about it, talking with the group about it after. They understand that you know, thing, teams will change against us. There'll be challenges ahead, and not everything is going to go perfect. And we have to be able to adjust as we go as well. And and that's only going to come from the work that we put in training and how we can adjust then to opposition in games, you know, and I think, look, they're, they're hungry for that. They certainly are, and you've got a very talented squad drawn from a lot of different clubs as well, but I suppose more than anything, Jamie, having the first game under the belt for those that may not have played minor before, that's a huge thing. Absolutely, I mean, there's there's, there's, there's a good few there, like there's, there's lots who were there in the panel last year, there's new fresh players in who played 16s last year, there's girls who, who played there today who didn't they represent Cork before, so, like I could, I could see, I could see that you know there was obviously nerves from some of them, but I think the group, you know, they're, they're nicely settled together, um, and you know, yeah, getting the win, getting the win just give, it just gives that little extra kick now for the next day. You know, it'll help them find an extra gear now in training. You know, they'll be hungry again to go out and prove the same thing against Limerick and and, and even up the level again. You know, and I, I I wouldn't ever underestimate any team. Here with you know with regards to Tip Limerick, whoever else, the rest of the teams in Munster, um, and yeah, being able to win the first day out was 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 nice, and it puts it, I'd say well ago puts it on the front foot and and gives us a, you know great chance to build build more momentum going through the championship. Exactly, and that's all you want at this point. But I suppose the benefit for you, Jamie, and your management team is the fact that you have a round robin. You get a you get a number of games. It's not knockout, and you get a chance to work on the things that you might have seen yourselves in this match with Tipperary. Yeah, and like, and there's, 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 look, there's loads you want to work on. There's obvious things that will stand out from today that we'll discuss as a group and we'll go through again. And, you know, 
being able to, I suppose, like, look at saying, it's a strong group, a talented group. Um, picking teams is hard. <laughs> you know, even deciding on subs come on first, it, all that stuff, all that, all that is hard and it's challenging. And the round robin, the round robin gives us maybe more options. We, we know, we know there's game time there for girls down the line. You know, there's game time, there's game time there for girls today. There's plenty of opportunities to come as well. And, you know, the more, I suppose, the more matches we play, the more opposition we face, the more we learn about ourselves as well along the way. Well, Jamie Cronin, manager of the Cork LGFA minor team who got their Munster Championship, uh, Ladies Football Munster Championship off to the best possible start with a 4-8 to 1-4 win over Tipperary. Congratulations to you and we'll catch up with you after this weekend's game with Limerick. But in the meantime, well done to you, your management team and all your players. Thanks, sir. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. Here. The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to offer us her expert opinion on all things rugby and review all the latest provincial, clubs, schools and adult results, scorers and upcoming fixtures Plus we have all the latest Munster Rugby and International Rugby news making the headlines Now, following last week's technical gremlins I'm delighted to say that we are delighted and thrilled to have back on the Big Red Bench, our regular Munster Women's Rugby expert and chairperson of Munster Women's Rugby, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, thanks very much for coming back and apologies we didn't get to talk last week. No problem, Jeremy. Delighted to be back this week to talk about the rugby. And I can't tell you how delighted I am to be able to hear you clearly and have no technical issues. Fingers crossed, he said. Anyway, let's talk rugby because that's why you're here. Um, you have some news of a fantastic mini splits in Balancholic. Yeah, so yesterday um, Mini Blitz took place in Ballancolic and I have to thank and congratulate Patrick from Ballancolic RFC um, for hosting yet another um, a great Blitz. We heard about it last year, their huge numbers and they followed suit again yesterday. So it was wonderful to see the girls filling the three pitches in Ballancolic. So at under 9s and 10s we had 69 players and at under 11, 12s we had 113 girls playing. So 182 players took place, took part sorry, yesterday in that. I'm just going to mention all the clubs that were involved. So Ballancolic, Bantry Bay, Clonakilty, Cove Pirates, Dolphin, Kinsale, Mallow, Middleton, Muskery, Skibbereen, Old Christians and Yall. So a great array of clubs there from, from the south of the province taking part in yet another uh, great blitz by Ballancolic. I would imagine this is something very exciting for the youngsters involved and it gets them in at the ground level and it's a lot of fun. It's not necessarily about going out and winning and uh, fair play to Ballancolic for continuing this. Yeah, I mean, just the, just the energy that comes from the girls at that level, you know, it is about the enjoyment factor. And for them, it's about making friends, you know, and friends that they see, you know, on the pitch for years to come, you know, because we do have some barbarian style um, teams as well. You know, when people come with small numbers, we put them into teams to make sure that they're getting lots of games. So it's just it's very infectious, actually, the atmosphere that's at those blitz days. Excellent stuff. Well done to Ballon and, and congratulations to everybody who took part. Now we move on to some very exciting news on the upcoming Munster Women's Under 14, 16 and 18 league finals are upon us. Yeah, so uh, this Sunday is, is finals day. So an exciting day just, you know, for the players, the coaches, the clubs and the parents. I want to include the parents because they play, you know, a key part in all of this as well. And, you know, when we got to the knockout stages, we had 20 different clubs um, involved in those knockout stages of the leagues. And we have 10 clubs represented in this final stage because, you know, we have a couple of amalgamations in here. But um, yeah, very exciting day. So at under 14, we have the Dunmanway Bantry Bay amalgamation versus Clonakilty. At under 16, we have the Clonakilty Red versus Ballancolic Dolphin amalgamation. And at under 18, we have Ennis Kilrush versus Carrick Turles. So uh, three 
great finals three you know what I mean they're, they're going to be very exciting and I'd say that I expect them to be very close matches and look I wish all the players and the coaches and clubs involved the very best of luck on Sunday and look we talk about the you know the exciting element of it and for these girls they're playing you know Musgrave Park the pitch that they see on the television they've seen the under 20s play there in the last Six Nations match they're going to see them again when they play face England and then they'll have the Irish girls playing on the same pitch for their Six Nations uh, campaign so that's really important for the girls to get to play in those venues it certainly is, and what an opportunity! And lovely to see such a, an array of clubs, as you said, as we've said yeah. before, Wendy. There's a few West Cork in there, yes, but a few from outside of Cork as well, and that just shows you the net now being cast far and wide when it comes to Munster women's rugby. And that's that's the really par- important element of this. You know, when we saw all the clubs that are taking part, you know, we would have for a few years seen a few clubs dominating and having you know two teams in finals when it got to the latter stages, but here now all different clubs represented. So, um, so it'll be all colours there in Musgrave Park on Sunday. It certainly will. What an occasion that promises to be. And good luck to everybody involved in each of those finals under 14, under 16, under 18. What a lovely memory to have to play at Musgrave Park at that age. You are listening to The Big Red Bench and our regular weekly Munster Women's Rugby slot with our Munster Women's Rugby expert and chairperson, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, we move on now to the under 18 development interpros and an update from there. Yeah, so look, not the campaign that they probably wanted results-wise, but really strong performance against Leinster um, last Thursday to finish out the campaign. Sadly, they were beaten by a try of just a few points in it and the last play of the game um, from a knock-on led to a try and the, the whistle went and that was the end of the match. So the girls were disappointed. But as I say, really strong performances from, from girls, 28 girls involved in that squad. 14 clubs represented from across the province. So, um, you know, we're developing players for the future and that's a really important thing to remember here. And look, we just wait now till the announcement of that under-18 um, Irish squad that will take, take part in the uh, Six Nations uh, Festival of Rugby. So, look, hopefully we'll have a few girls involved there. I expect a, a few to be involved and uh, I'm looking forward to that. As always, you'll be pushing the monster yeah. side of things, uh, Wendy, and you're, you're hopeful to have a good view on that team. One of the things I noticed from just um, the news around this under-18 setup this year um, was the competition for places. We'd spoken about it, I think. I think this is the first of the proper pathway girls coming through with the pathways that were set down by you and Munster Women's Rugby that have come through. And I, I, it is noticeable, as you said, one thing to have so many clubs represented on an interprovincial team is fantastic, but there was huge interest in it. And a lot of, like, it's an achievement in itself. It's not a cliche for girls to get on that Munster rugby team at under 18 level and and hopefully that they will have, irrespective of results, they'll take what they've learned from that and bring it back to their clubs and hopefully onto the senior interpros as well. Yeah, and, and that's a key element in this. I mean, while we mentioned, you know, 28 got to, to the last stage, you know, to, to represent the province, we had players north, south, east and west in the development camps. We have the under-17 development camps coming through. So we do have a pathway now the whole way through. And, um, you know, that young talent being, you know, being involved. Some young players, you know what I mean, that we're going to see there for the next two years. You know, and they were led by Saskia Lewitchley um, as captain. She had a very strong performance, especially in the line-out. You know, and I'm sure her brothers would have been egging her on, you know what I mean, that they're both senior players. So, um, yeah, just... Look, it's for me, it's just wonderful to see them coming through under 14s, under 16s and now under 18s and see them, you know, even the young girls that went through to play for our senior team, having won the Interpros this year, you know, they're seeing the pathway, they're seeing the development, you know, and, and the investment into the mm-hmm. rugby. Very much so. And good luck to them as well, as we said, on their continuing path, irrespective of how the under-18 Interpro season ends. They've all done a huge amount of work to get to this point and should be very proud of that. We finished this week, Wendy, with news and a look ahead to some important Schools Cup fixtures and adult Divisional Cup quarterfinals. 
Yeah, so I suppose before I talk about the fixtures, I just want to mention at schools, you know, which we, we've been working really hard to develop. So to date this season, we've had 32 schools involved in junior events, junior competitions and 17 at senior level. So, I mean, that's just great testament to the work being done by the development staff, um, you know, who deserve the credit in relation to the numbers that are growing here. And we will see this, you know, these dividends pay out into the clubs in, in the next couple of years. But looking to this week, we in the Junior Cup, we have collaged a public bantry they'll take on Bandon Grammar so that'll be a West Cork Derby we'll have an interest in that um, so that's the quarter final um, of the Schools Cup and um, reigning champions Orskulvera meet St Anne's uh, Community College in UL and John the Baptist School from um, Hospital meet Colosh de Ida in, uh, from Dingle so that's another exciting uh, match as well at senior cup level, then, it's going to be a double header next week. So we'll see, see St. Anne's Community College Killaloo versus uh, Sacred Heart Clonakilty and Ordskulvera versus Bandon Grammar. So we're getting to that latter stages, looking forward to that final before um, St. Patrick's Day. So they'll be, uh, they'll be fighting that out this week. There's certainly will. So much happening in the Munster women's rugby scene, both at schools, clubs, blitz and club um, and at interprovincial level, even at this early stage of the season. It's fantastic to see so much excitement as well to come this weekend. Good luck to all the teams playing in the under 14, 16 and 18 league finals at Mosgrave Park and uh, the very best of luck to those schools and those adult teams as well in the cup quarterfinals. Wendy Keenan, we've covered a huge amount of ground in a short space of time as ever again. Thank you very much for your expertise here on the Big Red Bench and we look forward to reviewing all of those games that you've just talked about on next week's show. Thanks a million, Jer. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Monster Hockey PRO Graeme Catchpole rejoins me on this week's Big Red Bench to recap the latest Monster Women's Hockey, Monster Division 1, EY League, schools, interpros and international news. Plus, we take a look ahead to upcoming women's hockey fixtures. That time of the week again when we look uh, back at a very, very busy uh, week of Monster Women's Hockey and look ahead to an even busier week and uh, weekend of Monster Women's Hockey and only one person to turn to. It's our resident uh, expert when it comes to Monster Hockey and that is the uh, Monster Women's PRO, Graham Catchball. Graham, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are things? All good now, Jar. How are you? Busy, like yourself, very busy, and it's good to see you're busy as well. We have a lot to get through. There has been some big, big matches uh, in uh, over the weekend. We previewed them in last week's podcast, and uh, each one of those games turned out to be very, very close, as you and, and I uh, anticipated. Let's start with an absolute humdinger in the Munster Women's Division 1 between Harlequins and Seavoy. Yeah, so uh, last Thursday night, Harlequins hosted um, CFI in the, the Women's Munster Division 1. Uh, both sides, I suppose, going into it were just separated by a place at the table with uh with C of I, I suppose looking to to close that gap to to Harlequins. Um likewise Harlequins then I suppose hoping to to catch UCC uh, who who are just ahead of them in the table. Uh, a very, very close game as anticipated. Uh, Harlequins going one nil up uh through Joy Sampson and, and then C of I pegging them back through Kira Sexton. Uh the winning goal coming from from Ruby Walsh, I suppose you know, going into the, the end of the game. Uh so Carlequins holding on for a 2-1 victory, uh, which brings them uh, right up next to, to UCC in the table, so only two points behind. It does, and the fact as well, Graham, that there's only four rounds of games left. Now, CFI are, are open to third, but there, there's some like there's seven points behind Harlequins. It is a two-horse race, and there's some there's a lot of hockey to be played, as you know. Uh, things can change very quickly, but isn't it great to see two such well-matched teams going? This is what you want uh, in terms of a title race and you know, garnering interest and momentum, and it's brilliant to see the two teams, two really well-matched teams now up at the top there. 
Yeah, I know it's, it's it's absolutely brilliant, and and really, I suppose if you're looking at the the table this year, it's been nip and tuck all year between UCC and Harlequins, but also CFI, Bandon, and Ashton have have been pushing all the way as well and keeping pace. Now it does look like there there's a bit of a gap developing, I suppose, between UCC, Harlequins, and and the rest at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the coming weeks because there's still some big fixtures to be played. There certainly are, and we're looking forward to seeing how that women's monster division one pans out. But right now, as we've just said, there uh, a very important result for Harlequins winning two one over Church of Ireland. They are now in second place, but only two points behind UCC leaders. Four rounds of games to go, and so much to look forward to. We now move to the women's EY one, where on Saturday and equally. Uh, top of the table, uh, clash of the titans, cliche alert, uh, involving Catholic Institute and Loretto Hockey Club, the two front runners in women's EY1, and we weren't disappointed yet again, Graham, with a cracking game here. Yeah, an absolute humdinger uh, by the sounds of it. So the game ending to all um, in Ross Bryan in, in Limerick, um, as you mentioned, Jared, both teams were first and second, uh, equal on points at the start of the the game and and so so after the game they were in exactly the same situation with with one or two clubs uh, just just below them just slipping up in the table and um, we also have uh, old Alex with it with a game in hand who could actually join them on 22 points at the top of the table so you could have three teams on the you know on, on 22 points in 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 the coming days so look the the EY uh, women's one uh, division one looks really exciting uh, coming into I suppose the second half of the season now um, but Institute doing doing very well to I suppose you know get get the point against uh, a strong Loretto team who seemed to have improved over the course of the season. Um, Anna Horn and Michelle Barrett got got their goals on Saturday. Yeah, there's literally there's, there's nothing between Loretto and Catholic as I look at the league table here. Catholic Institute and as you said, Pegasus although only two points behind of two games more play, but all Alex are there as well. They have a game in hand. It this is another one that's going to go right down to the wire, and it's brilliant to see Catholic Institute you know mixing it with some really really good teams in here. Yeah, no, absolutely, it is, and and you know, institute themselves, I suppose, will we, we, have had a, a couple of girls, uh, Naomi Carroll and, and Roisin Upton, uh, representing the Irish women last week in in Argentina, Argentina. So, it was good to see them come back, you know, and and I suppose no rest for the wicked at at, at this level, uh, straight back into EY one game. Um, likewise, I suppose you know UCC's Quiva Purdue was was straight into the mix as well. Um, I suppose on Saturday as well. So in the Munster Division One games, there, um, UCC having a comfortable victory over over the away to Waterford, ten uh, nil in the end. Um, and and likewise, then Bandon, I suppose, you know, still hanging in there. Um, at the at the the foot of the table or at the top of the table, uh, they they had a two nil win over Blackrock Olivia Roycroft with both their goals. Yes, indeed. Lots of goals going in for the uh, Cork clubs, as you said. 2-0 for Abandon, a comprehensive win for UCC as well. Quiver Purdue, as you said, just back from Argentina, like the aforementioned players, straight back in with her club and getting the job done. Um, Bandon were action again in the Monster Women's Division 1 Cup in the opening round of that tournament, uh, Graham. Yeah, an absolute uh, belter of a match down in Bandon on, on, on Sunday. So uh, UCC doubling up for the weekend, as did Bandon, I suppose, Um so uh, an absolute uh, classic cup uh, cup encounter, I suppose, between Bandon and, and UCC. Uh, UCC coming out 4-3 uh, on top in the end. 
Uh, but it was right down to the wire in this in this cup tie. Uh, the goals for UCC from from Sarah Murphy, who's been I suppose returning from an ACL injury, which which is great to see her back in the score sheet. Uh, Jane Murphy, her sister, also on the score sheet. Abby O'Mahony and Emma Sullivan, who I'm sure you're familiar with at this stage, up near the top of the the goal scoring charts. Um, and then Bandon Bandon's goal scorers, Aoife Barris, Lily Carey, and and Jenny McLaughlin on the day. But an absolute belter of a cup tie in the, in the first round of the 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 Munster Division One Cup. Yeah, would you believe I was following this on Instagram? I was watching the UCC Instagram account to get updates as it was whatever I was doing on Sunday. I can't remember what I was doing. I was, at, I was in Porky Creef. And uh, so just keeping tabs on a lot of things. So it was great to see. Um, and that sounds, as you said, like a humdinger. Two really good teams. And fair play to Bandit and UCC, Graham, here, because playing very important matches on the Saturday and then talking out again for a couple, you know, 24 hours later. I know they've, they're using their full panel and squad, and this is what you use it for. But, um, you know, in other sports where there's games not being played and things falling by the wayside, one of the real benefits of hockey is that you can get cup games played with teams with big squads, granted. Um, but getting that game played is, is another one off the list, and it's very important that you keep that going. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I suppose some of the girls would be used to... Uh... You know, doubling up on weekends with, uh, with I suppose, uh, tor- you know, tournament hockey that they would have played, I suppose, uh, through the interpros and 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 so on and so forth. So, I mean, tournament hockey, even at international level, you know, they they could be play- playing four or five games with it within a week. So, um, it's it's something that uh, you know, coaches obviously prepare for, but also you know, having that, I suppose, strength and depth in the panels definitely, definitely, definitely plays to the advantage. And it might have just edged um, UCC over the line, I suppose, on Sunday. Who would have naturally as probably probably a bigger panel than than Bandon would have. Indeed, but well done to Bandon for putting up such a great match. Four three cracking game in the Munster Division One Cup opening round last Sunday. Time to look ahead now, Graham. Now as we record this, um, the the big big game of the week, the women's Munster Division One top of the table clash between Harlequins and UCC has not happened. But we will look back on it and talk at length. I would imagine on next week's show. Obviously, it, it, it doesn't need any any top billing. Like, there's only two points between these two sides. UCC, two points clear of Harlequins going into the first of four final uh, Division One games. It takes place on Tuesday night, but it's going to be, uh, we'll talk about it next week, but obviously it has huge implications for that particular uh, title race. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, you know, UCC currently two points ahead of Harlequins, so... Harlequins, uh, you know, win for them. They know that they they leapfrog them. Um, they will meet again in the league. Um, you know, in the coming weeks as well. So, you know, these two games, you know, they could be the the title deciders when when it when it boils down to it. Uh, both sides, you know, in in tremendous form, I suppose, both in in EY two and and in in the monster leagues and going well in the cups as well. So, you know, all to play for. Uh, as I say, a real uh, a real six pointer. Indeed, and we will talk at length about that particular game on next week's uh, segment. But there are some big games this Saturday in the Women's Munster Senior Cup and in the Munster Senior Plate, Graham. Yeah, UCC hosts Waterford again at home and will, will I suppose, be hot favourites to, to proceed in the, in the, in the Munster Senior Cup uh, semi-final. Um, in the plate then, which is the, the competition for those, uh, I suppose, who were knocked out in the, in the first round of the Cup, um, Ashton hosts Belvedere um, and uh, Bandon hosts uh, Blackrock. Excellent stuff. Lots to look forward to. Before we finish up, as usual, we'll have a quick check of all the league tables. We've already kind of spoken about women's EY1, Loretto and Catholic Institute. 22 points each joint top. Pegasus Noel Alex not too far behind in that particular title race. We know the implications of this week's Women's Monster Division 1 top of the table clash between UCC and Harlequins. UCC go into that uh, two points clear of Harlequins, but there's still a lot of hockey to play and they have to play each other a second time, as you said. Um, as well as that, uh, having a quick check of the Women's EY2 Pool A, Avoca way out in front there, but UCC lying in third place behind the Ulster Elk 
Ulster Elks. And in women's EY2, uh, Pool B, uh, Cork Harlequins, uh, Ballymoney and Queen's University all battling it out behind Corinthians who are unbeaten at the top and still uh, Harlequins in with a chance there of a knockout place. And we finish up with something that has been mentioned to me. A lot of people seem to like this one, uh, Graham. This is the women's yeah. monster top scores. There's a bit of rivalry and why wouldn't there be? Because at the top of the table, Beth Ann O'Farrell, that name again for Cork Harlequin. She's got 16 goals this season, but Emma O'Sullivan from UCC has joined her on 16 goals in joint first place. Another Harlequins player, Michelle Barry, is on 12, as is Bandon's Olivia Rycroft running her two goals earlier in the week. Kate Harvey's uh, Kate Harvey from Ashton is on 11, as is Kira Sexton from CFI. And then we've got Yvonne O'Byrne from Cork Harlequins on 10, Abby O'Mahony on 10, Isabel Martin, Julia McCarthy, Katie Desmond and Ingrid Burns fil- uh, finishing out the top 12 positions in what is an equally exciting uh, top goal scorer race. Loads happening, loads that we've covered there, Graham, and an awful lot to cover in the coming weeks. Fierce excitement, and it's great to see it. Not just the car clubs, but monster clubs doing really well. Um, thank you once again, uh, Graham Catchwall, for your time here on the Big Red Bench, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks a million, Jer. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach to the stars, Mike Curran, is back on the Big Red Bench to give us his expert opinion on all the latest on and off field AFLW news. Mike has over 20 years' experience of the AFLW, playing, coaching and managing, and remains an integral link between future Irish AFLW stars and a first contact for all those Irish women currently under AFLW contracts in Australia. Now, we are delighted uh, to welcome back for a brand new season uh, of AFLW expertise, analysis, reports, previews, gossip, and just about everything else that goes with it. No better man than a man with 20 years of experience and looking after all the Irish players that have crossed to Australia to play AFLW, and that is Mike Curran. Mike, you're very welcome back to the 2023 season. How are you? Oh, good, Jerry. Yeah, 2023 is, is looking like it's getting ready to roll. It was only like yesterday we were talking about Ring, but here we are, back again with AFLW. Now, everybody knows the AFLW season isn't starting anytime soon. There's no definitive dates, but... You have some big news around the sign and trade deadlines, which were just announced. Yes, sure. We're looking, as always, I know they don't do it deliberately, but the AFL, the AFLW and the AFL Players Association are involved in this negotiation every year relating to the CBA or the Collective Bargaining Agreement. And that sets out the stall, the rules, the list sizes, the dates, everything for the season that's coming ahead. Now, we're nowhere close to having a full CBA yet for season 23, but there was news um in the last couple of days in relation to the sign and trade period. So this is the first signs of activity for season 2023. And basically that's the window where the initial player movements and player signings can begin. So traditionally there's a sign and trade period every season. Um, This time around the sign and trade will run from the, the 10th to the 20th of March, which isn't too far away, but there is a big twist this season. There is now going to be a priority signing period or a PS. PSP is as it's already becoming known as the AFL love their acronyms and that's going to run from the 1st to the 8th of March and here's the twist this will allow the expansion clubs from last season priority access to basically pick players from other clubs um is this like the NFL draft in American football where the the franchises with the worst records get to pick the best of the college students coming out of college i mean this is kind of try. Is this an attempt by the AFLW, Mike, uh, at a very high level now that I'm looking at it, to even the playing field, even the playing field, and give really good players uh, and clubs and franchises that mightn't have a good record, but an opportunity to sign and poach these players? 
Well, it is, Jerry, and that's a very good analogy with the with the NFL. But bizarrely, that actually happens in the draft. There's a kind of an equalization process in the draft here in AFLW where the lower clubs get priority picks, etc. So this is even weeks, if not a month or two, ahead of the draft. So this is a very early intervention, um, obviously designed to give a bit of a leg up to the, the new clubs that joined last year. But basically, what it means now is that these four expansion clubs, obviously Essendon, Hawthorne, Port Adelaide and Sydney, are now allowed to sign players from the other clubs without a trade. So no trade involved. So basically, it's, it's a, a smash and grab raid. And there's also some uh, additional incentives um, after being approved as well. So clubs now can also offer secondary relocation reimbursements. So normally, if a player would move from one state to another, the same as the Irish girls moving from Ireland to Australia as an international player, there'd be a, a relocation allowance. Clubs are now able to offer a secondary relocation allowance. So what that incentivizes, obviously, is that some of the bigger name players uh, may possibly move interstate where otherwise they might not have. So what it means then is that um, the clubs are able to get some of that top level talent and the rules that have been set are Essendon are allowed to take two, two players, Hawthorne are allowed to take three players, Port Adelaide are allowed to take three players and have been granted two extra list spots and Sydney Swans have been allowed to take five players. So that's huge. And they've been granted three extra list spots and um, uh, are able to offer longer contracts and stuff. So that's for the four clubs um, that came in last year to make up the full 18. It was a historic season last year. So they get uh, first dabs on, on some of the talent. What it means for the other clubs, of course, is that they're going to lose some players. And, and what the AFL have said in relation to that is that the top four teams are can lose up to five players each. So that is extremely significant amount. So the likes of... Melbourne Demons, Brisbane Lions, um, North Kangaroos and Adelaide Crows, the four top teams in the competition who probably up to um, today were thinking they had a fairly set list now have to fend off um, advances for their top players. Uh, again, a little similar to what happened last year. Um, and then for the teams that finished last season in positions five to eight, they can lose up to two players and every other team from nine to 18 on the ladder can lose up to one player. So there's potential implications for everybody across the, the ladder on this one. I mean, this sounds like it's going to be of an extremely interesting fortnight, Mike, well before a ball is kicked or training or preseason or anything starts. And it's probably going to set a precedent. I, I can understand that the top franchises and clubs for are not going to be happy with this, but can you give me just very briefly an insight into the mind of somebody who has finished in the top four, maybe even won a premiership or two? What would it take for them to say, OK, I'm going to go join Sydney. I'm going to go join somebody else near the bottom that didn't have such a good la year last year. Does it come down to money? Does it come down to just the fact that they might be living near that area? What's the incentive, though, to, to leave behind a successful setup and franchise? Um, and does it come down to dollars? It comes down to probably a combination of the merger, but yeah, realistically, of course, as in all professional sports, money talks. And in some cases where these expansion clubs are trying to bring across a, a star player, um, the money and the offers that are put are very, very significant, like huge amounts of money, life-changing amounts. So um, that obviously it would be one of the main items. You also then have scenarios where some players are already playing interstate. So, for example, a player from Sydney might be living in Melbourne and playing for the last three seasons. I might like the opportunity to go back home to New South Wales or closer to home and closer to family and stuff. Uh, there's a little bit of that. And, of course, as well, 
there's probably the challenge uh, if you if you if you've like been in a few grand finals or won a few premierships you might now see uh, like the idea of a new challenge of getting in with a new team at an early stage and helping to build the culture and, and build, build that club from the ground up um so there's a number of factors uh, for sure to contribute to all of that but what it definitely does mean is we touched on it towards the end of last season because the draft, uh, which hasn't even been announced yet, we haven't even got to the draft, but the draft was already going to be different this year. We know that because there are no under-18 talent coming through due to the fact that there was two seasons in one season last year. So effectively, it almost has to skip a year in terms of that elite 18-year-old talent that is normally the, the top picks at the draft. And this year's draft is already being referred to as an overage draft. So theoretically, it's a chance for slightly older players to get looked at or it would be for the players that didn't get picked in the first 50 last year. They'd be kind of top of the list this year. So what that had meant was it wasn't very incentivized for clubs to, to look to do trades because if you were trading off a player, normally what you trade that for is a draft pick. And it, with the draft not being that strong, it wasn't thought there was going to be that much movement. But this has certainly put a bomb amongst the whole thing because now there is almost definitely going to be movement. It's going to be in less than 10 days' time. So a bit a bit over a week, we're going to start seeing players moving around. And then there's obviously going to have to be a reaction to that and a knock-on effect from those top clubs that are um, realistically going to lo- lose some players, I'd imagine, for sure. Um, and that kind of re-changes the focus coming into that draft in again, which will likely be probably within another month to follow. So, yeah, it's certainly throwing the cat amongst the pigeons. It certainly has. Just when we thought it would be quiet, we wouldn't be hearing from you from another little bit, Mike. Uh, we're going to be talking to you quite a lot, I would imagine, over the next fortnight with a lot of big moves, I would imagine, from the top four, those bottom five uh, franchises, as you said, um, and a lot of things happening. Uh, the domino effect of what might happen is going to be extremely interesting over the next two weeks. Hopefully, you'll be able to keep your finger on the pulse and let us uh, keep us up to date on all of that here on the Big Red Bench. I will, for sure, Joe. And as I say, this is only the first... We're, we have a whole lot of things that need to get finalized through the CBA. And bear in mind, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we introduced the season that the CBA in itself is going to be historic and that it's the first time the men's and women's are ever being negotiated together. So there's going to be little interim um, snippets dropped. This is the first one. The next one will probably be the dates for the draft. The one after that is going to be when preseason starts and when the season starts. These are all critically important. Look, at it's, it's great in terms of suspense for, for the, the fan watching in, but for the players and the clubs and the likes of myself that's working in it, it's a bit of a nightmare because nobody has solid dates yet. And it, it, it's almost as if this is yearly at this stage now, but obviously it's a reaction to the huge success of the AFLW, how quickly it's grown, how quickly it's become successful. And this won't go on indefinitely. I think within probably after this year, we'll be into a lot more settled pattern in terms of dates and that. But yeah. We this is only the first drop of information. There's a lot more to come, so we'll keep you up to speed with with any live updates as they happen across the next couple of weeks. I've no doubt that you will, Mike. It's great to hear you here back on the big red bench talking all things AFLW long before the season starts, but lots of drama to come. Thank you for joining us on this week's show. No problem, Jared. Chat soon. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and guests between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM.